snacked up extra today. Be all right. Be good for Buford, bad for Mary. Deal? Fair. I'm preaching. You can't send them back to me. All right. First Corinthians chapter 12. Joe walked us through verses 8 through 11 last week. So we are on uh, verses 12 uh, through 20 today. So look with me if you will. So Paul ties in verse 11 right into verse 12 because he says this. He says, For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Again, I thank you for the celebration that we we had this morning uh, in our new sister, Maddie. Uh, Father, I thank you that we've been able to sing to you today, and we sang the gospel. We sang it well. I thank you that although our sins are many, your mercy is more and is far greater than our sins. Uh, Father, I I just pray that, that you be with us now as we look at this passage because I feel like it has something to say to so many of us who, who as we, we look at ourselves so often, we don't see where we fit in the body of Christ or we don't seem to think that we've got gifts or talents or abilities that you want to use, but yet your word clearly says that we're all important, we're all vital, uh, and that we're all in this together. And so I just pray that today that that, that would work on our hearts. I pray that, that it would uh, comfort many in this room today. Uh, to know that because of your life, your death, and your resurrection, we have a role to play in your kingdom. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and as you know, the church is a mess. There, there are problems uh, throughout the, the whole thing. Uh, I saw a tweet yesterday that, that said, uh, uh, the church of Corinth would love 2019, man. Especially on Twitter, right? Where they could just fight and argue and, and divide over every single issue uh, that's out there. And so they're divided and they're arguing over leaders and who their favorite pastor was. They're, they're fighting over business practices. They're fighting over the Lord's Supper and who they're excluding from the Lord's Supper, who they're including at the Lord's Supper. And in chapter 12, we, we see that they've been fighting over spiritual gifts, So apparently what they had been doing is that they had been taking the people in the church with the very obvious spiritual gifts, right? So so those obvious spiritual gifts would probably be like a good voice or a voice that carries, right? My voice isn't good. It just carries. You know, it's it's like nails on a chalkboard. But, but, But they can speak in front of people or that they were good teachers. And so they were looking at those people and they were elevating them and putting them on a pedestal while they were excluding everyone else. And in the first seven verses of chapter 12, Paul says that the mark of a truly spiritual person is not someone who is gift-centered, 
who's focused only on receiving the gifts of Christ, but the truly spiritual person is someone who is Christ-centered, who wants to put the spotlight on Christ, not on themselves, who wants to take the good gifts that God's given them and use those gifts to glorify and make much of Jesus, not make much of themselves. In verse 7, he says that Christ gives gifts for the common good of the church, that it should benefit everybody, not just the individual. Last week, Joe did a great job walking us through the list of gifts that were found in verses 8 through, ever, through 11. And, and what, Paul, what, what Joe said is that Paul's not giving us an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but he wants to make clear in that list that God is the giver of spiritual gifts, that God is the one who gives the gifts to the people as he wills, that we don't get to pick our gifts, that God gives them to us, that he's the one who empowers us to use our gifts. And it's the same point. That God gave you those gifts, all right? You weren't in the womb knocking going, hey, yeah, God, I think I want you to make me six foot two, 220 pounds and run a 4240. God didn't, that's not how it worked. Like God assigned you your gifts and your talents and your abilities and all that happened while you were in the womb. And that God wants you to now use those gifts for the good of the entire body, not just for yourself, And so in verses 12 through 31, Paul's going to show us that within the body of Christ, there's a diversity of gifts that when used properly together form this unified whole, that there's this beautiful diversity in the church of Jesus Christ that comes about and makes a beautiful unity in Jesus. And so we're going to look at this in two parts. Part one, verses 12 through 20, is is typically how we view ourselves as individuals in the body of Christ. And then next week, as we look at 21 through 31, we're going to see how we view other people in the body of Christ. So I think one of the hardest things for all of us to do is that we, when we have to learn to go from thinking in terms of, 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 um, of, of, of ourselves to we, right? To, to thinking as a collective whole, as we. So, so like when you got married, for some of you, you remember that? Like you had to go from thinking of that's mine, right, to that's ours now, right? That's not my money, that's our money. Some of you, your wife brought a dog into the marriage, right? And, and you still don't like that dog, but that is your dog now, right? It's our dog, right? Your, your clothes men, they're not yours no more, right? You come home and you're like, I'm supposed to wear that, right? They're ours now, like she dresses you. Right, like, like, like you go from saying that's my pickup or, hey, here's a good one, right? Yesterday was Saturday. That used to be my TV. I could sit there for hours. But now, you know, I've got kids and so that's our TV and I've got to watch Barbie and Captain Underpants and, you know, all those things that they want to watch. Like, it's hard to get us to transition from me, mine, to ours, Um, I think every time I've moved to a new church, it's taken me a little bit of time to go, us, right? I still want to think in terms of that other place that that I was at, and I'd say, well, we did this or we did that, and I want to identify with that place instead of realizing, no, I'm here now, I'm leading this church now, and so now it's we, we're all in this together, not me and what I used to do. And so this is kind of the case of the church in Corinth, that they've had a very hard time thinking in terms of us. They've struggled to live in unity. And so what Paul does here is he gives them this metaphor, and it's a metaphor that Paul loves. It's throughout all of his writings. And he wants them to see that the church is the body of Christ. So look at verse 12. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, 
All the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, okay? So in verse 11, he says that all these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then all of a sudden in verse 12, he's tying all that in. He's saying that sir, just as the, one, the body is one, it has many members. And that verse 12 kind of ends unusually. Like, look at it. For just as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. You, you would think that, that, that there would be a period there. That Paul would stop and then he would go on to his next thought. But there's a comma and he says, so it is with Christ. That's kind of an unusual way to end it. But what he's trying to tell you and I is that when we became Christians, you didn't just simply join a club. Like this isn't a country club, right? When you became Christians, you didn't just simply tip your hat to Jesus and then just keep on walking and that nothing changed. When you became a Christian, you didn't just get a card that says, hey, you can skip hell and just go right on to heaven. That's not what happened. Rather, when you became a Christian, you were joined with Christ by the mysterious and powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And when we were united to Christ, we were also united to every other Christian who's united to Christ. We became one. So what he's saying is that there should be this profound unity in the body of Christ. That whether you feel it or not today, whether you think it's here or not, whether you see it because of Jesus and his life, his death and his resurrection, there is a profound unity in this room for those of us who believe. The unity that Paul says is, is, is an intimate unity. And it's, it's as intimate as diverse members in the anatomy of the human body. That all the body has to work together in harmony for it to work properly. So what that means then, brothers and sisters, is that to live in disharmony with one another in the local church is to give rise to needless division in the church. And it's to contradict the fundamental reality about who we are in Jesus. We are one and not to function as one is to live at odds with who we are as Christian people. That's why divisions and fighting are so dangerous to the life of a body of believers. So how did you become one? Well, look what he says right there in, in verse 13. He tells you, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So how did we become one? By one spirit. But by the Spirit, we were baptized into this body of believers, right? Today, when we baptized Maddie, she was not just telling you that she's following Jesus. She was baptized into this body of believers. And Paul's talked about the sacraments before in 1 Corinthians. He's talked about baptism. He's talked about the Lord's Supper, and he talks about them here. But what he's doing is he's, he's pointing you now to the supernatural realities that the sacraments point to. So water baptism is the outward sign of the Holy Spirit. Baptism does not save you. Maddie told you that in the video. But it's your way of saying, I'm on Team Jesus now. That guess what? I used to play for Team Satan, right? I was like Antonio Brown. I used to play for another team. But then I got released, and all of a sudden now I've changed jerseys, and I'm following Jesus. I'm on his team now, right? That's who I'm with. And it's a public affair conducted in front of the local church because you're now saying, like I said, Maddie did that earlier, to all your brothers and sisters in Christ that, listen, I'm now one with you. 
I'm part of you. I'm identifying with you. When we come to the Lord's table, we come knowing it's only because of Jesus' broken body and spilled blood that we're one. That we come to the table with many common hobbies, many common entrants, and even maybe common income levels, but those aren't the things that bind us. It's Jesus' broken body and his spilt blood. Jesus is the one who has made us one when we come to the table. See, really what Paul's saying is that it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we have this unity here in the church. Now, as an, as an aside, I, I need to say this, that a lot of charismatic traditions have taken verse 13, and they've taken this text to mean that there's two baptisms. That there's your baptism in water after salvation, but then they'll tell you that, well, there's a second baptism or a second feeling that you need wherever you come to the front, right? I told you my story of coming down and trying to speak in tongues, right? And they're, they're laying hands on me going, just speak that language and trying to pray the Holy Spirit into me. That's not what Paul's talking about right here, Right? This is not his teaching. It's not the teaching of the New, Christ, uh, the New Testament. To be a Christian is to be saved from your sins by Jesus Christ and to be baptized by Christ in the Spirit and united with Him. So it means that the minute you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That there is not a second feeling or another time where it has to be prayed back into you. That you receive that upon your salvation. And what Paul says is that every single Christian, regardless of ethnicity or social class or social status, is now one with Jesus. That's why he says there's no longer Jews or Greeks, slave or free, male, female. We're all made one in Jesus Christ, made one by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, ground your identity, brothers and sisters, in what Jesus has done for you. Ground your identity in the fact that right now, if you're a believer sitting in this room, you are one with other believers in this room. And it's not because of your income or your interest or your hobbies. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. So he grounds our identity in that. But then look what he does in verse 14. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So, so there's his favorite metaphor, that, that the church is the body of Christ. Verse 27, next week he will say, you are the body of Christ. And he tells us that we don't function as a collection of separate individuals. That you and I, as believers, are one. The church doesn't function like a democracy. There's never a 51 to 49% split along party lines. The church is far more connected than that, right? So, so he says, think of it like a, like a body. Think of it like your body, right? You're walking through the living room. Your kids have left the Legos out. Okay, who's been there? And you step on it, and what happens? Your entire body reacts. Your foot comes up, your hand goes down, your mouth starts forming words that it shouldn't form, right? Right? Who did it? Ellie! Right? You start blaming everybody, right? You start looking around trying to figure out what exactly it was that you stepped on. Your whole body acts in unison when that pain happens. See, that's what Paul's getting at, is that now that we're one, there are no individual decisions to be made by the body. That it reacts as a whole unit. That once you're in the body of Christ, there's no opting out, brothers and sisters. Bobby Jameson said this in a tweet this week, and I thought it was brilliant. Church members 
should knit their lives so tightly together that if you try to pull one out of the body, another doesn't come with him pulling him back in. I mean, do we think of ourselves as that way? Like, like right here at First Baptist Spearman, do we see ourselves as so tied in and knit together that if one of us said, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave, that there'd be 10 of us to pull him back in and go, where are you going, brother? Where are you going, sister? No, there's a place for you. You belong here. Do we see ourselves that way? Or do we just see ourselves as a bunch of individuals that show up here on Sunday morning, go through the motions, and go home? See, that's where Paul goes in verses 15 and 16. So he imagines body parts complaining about their role in the body. And it's absurd language, and it's supposed to be absurd. He wants you to get a chuckle out of what he's saying. He's saying we're supposed to laugh at the thought of a foot yelling like a junior high boy going, God, you made me a foot, but I really should be a hand. Right? You, you made me to run and to be fast, but man, Daddy, my, my feet could really catch. Like, like I really think I'm born to, to catch a football. Or the ears saying, I should have been an eye. Like, like, God, I, I know that you made me an ear and I'm supposed to hear, but, but I really should be an eye. It's like a foot saying, you know, God, because you, you didn't make me a hand, then I'm not going to function. I'm just not going to move. I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to help the rest of the body. So one foot moves and the other one says, I'm not doing anything. It's absurd, but we act like this all the time, don't we? Yeah, huh? I may have told you the story or not, but I got kicked out of band in seventh grade. It was awesome. All right? And I'll tell you why. Because I wanted to be a drummer. I had the rhythm, y'all, okay? I could feel it. I was supposed to be in one of those drum lines. I just knew it. I had it in me. Apparently, the band director said there was such a thing as coordination. And I was born with a really bad disease. Right? Uncoordinated lankiness. There's no cure. It gets a little better over time, but not much. But I just thought that I had it in me to be a drummer. And he said, no, not really. And so I threw a fit. And eventually they said, okay, Byron, listen. Either play what they want you to play or go get in choir. Right? Those are your two options. I got in choir. That didn't work out too well anyways. But <laughs> see the point? I was doing the exact same thing. I was just like that foot saying, you should have made me a hand right? That's what I was doing. So we do this in the body of Christ all the time. We look around and we go, well, I'm, I'm not as talented as, as they are. I'm not as outgoing as, as they are. I, I'm, I'm not as organized as they are. So since I'm, I'm not any of those things, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to kind of take up space. I, I don't belong to the body at all because I'm just not like that. You know, I'm not a small group leader. I'm not leading a home group this semester, so I guess I really don't matter. Or, or I'm a shut-in, or, or I'm an elderly church member who can't go on a mission trip anymore, or can't go on a youth camp anymore, so I guess I, I don't matter. I'm a young mom, and, and I just have no margin in my life right now, and I'm stressed, and I guess I just don't really belong to the body of Christ. And then if you keep following that line of thought out, and I've seen it happen time and time again, people start going, well, Maybe I don't belong at this church at all. Maybe I'd be better suited to go somewhere else. So, or eventually some people just go, maybe I just don't belong in church at all. It might just be better for everybody in the church if I just leave. See, it's an absurd line of thought. And that's what Paul wants us to see. But then look what he does in verse 17. He plays the absurdity out a little bit more. 
He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many, party, many parts, yet one body. So Paul says that the, the body was just one giant eye rolling around. How would it hear? Like, like if the whole body was just this giant ear, how would it smell? How would it get the earwax out or the ear hair plucked? You know, I mean, how would it do any of those things if it was just an ear? It's a bizarre, freakish image. Not a body, just an eye, an ear, or a nose. Paul says, how useless would something like that be? Without the rest of the body, it couldn't function. See, the body only functions when all the parts work together. It only operates when each part, listen to me, however small or mundane or apparently useless we may think they are, function together. See, when we think of ourselves as only just an eye or only just a nose or only just a hand and we don't see ourselves as part of something that's bigger and connected together, we're really missing the point. So you may only be a hand or a nose. I'm the appendix. Nobody knows what I'm there for. I just flare up every now and then and cause problems. Okay? You may not have the same gifts as somebody else, and you may wish you had your gifts, but guess what? Paul tells you in verse 18 and 19, you didn't get to choose that. Verse 18, what's he say right there? He says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Folks, listen to me. This is why the dejection and dissatisfactions we sometimes battle are so wrong. God gets to determine the nature and range of a person's gifts. And it's God's will to deploy them as he wills inside of the local church. See, God is sovereign in the whole matter of giftedness and our whole role in the body. So therefore, it's not us up to us to complain that we don't have the gifts that other people seem to have. Folks, everybody look at me on this comparisons are deadly in the Christian life. Folks, they are deadly. I've seen them tear more churches apart where people sit back and they look at other people's gifts and they get upset and jealous and angry and bitter because they don't have that person's gifts. And what happens is they sow seeds of dissension and discord in the church. And the next thing you know, we're not functioning as one. All of a sudden now, we're all trying to be individual body parts. See, our calling is simply to use what God has given us in humility and for the glory of his name and for the good of those around you. See, you use your gifts in your unique circumstances as only you can for the praise of the name of Jesus Christ. So, so maybe you're not an upfront kind of person. Maybe you don't like being in front of people. I don't blame you. It's scary. That's fine. But guess what? You can pray, right? You can pray for your leaders in the church. You can get a church directory, and you can pray through the names of families in our church. In October, we're going to try again, folks. We're going to have prayer meeting. And I pray to the Lord that more than just one of you would consistently show up. God's going to get us if we don't start praying. You know that, right? We're trying to do too much in our own power and not enough in His. 
Maybe you're not up front, but you can pray. We had a little lady in Olton. Her name was Miss Francis. Miss Francis was, was old and sore, and there was a whole lot Miss Francis couldn't do anymore. But I'll tell you what Miss Francis did twice a week. She came up to the church. She would get a key to the worship center. She would go in and lock herself in, and she would walk around that church for hours and just pray. And I would hear her in there sometimes. One time I walked by and I went, I think she's praying in tongues in there. And I just kind of kept on walking because, I mean, it was something coming out of her. I don't know what it was. But she did that, and, and I, I, I've checked. She still does that to this day. So, yeah, she says, maybe I can't do a lot of the physical stuff I used to do. I can pray. I can pray. Maybe you can't lead a small group. Maybe that's not your area. Maybe you're not comfortable. But guess what? You can welcome new faces. You can shake hands. Right? One of the things I love that Joe's doing is he's trying to get our students employed in the service. Right? Get students back there shaking hands today. We're trying to get students to come up here and help pass the plate. Right? That even though they're students and even though they're, they're still teenagers, they have a place and a role to serve in the body of Christ. I hate the language. I heard it all the time as, as, a, as a youth pastor. Well, that's the church of the future, pastor. No, they're not. They're the church right now. That's what Paul's saying right here, is that they have a role to play too. And you don't get to exclude them just because they're not as old as you are. Maybe you're not great on a finance committee. All right? Maybe you're like, I don't even know how to handle my own money. That's great. But you know what? You could open up your home. You could have people over and you could show hospitality. You could care for people who are hurting. You could just give somebody down in the dumps a meal. Right? A lot of you got really nice Chip and JoJo homes. Why don't you open them up for people? I mean, it's amazing to me the number of people that don't let others in their home. It's the truth. Had a friend recently tell me that the fastest growing home group they got is meeting on campus of their church. And you know what he told me? It's because people try so hard to project a perfect image on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter of their homes that they're embarrassed to let people actually come inside their homes. I mean, that's where we're at, right? Quit watching HTGV and just let somebody come in your house. It's okay if you got toys all over the floor. Somebody lives there. Right? I love it. We have a house cleaner come in to clean our house just to make it look like nobody lives there. And then we got to clean the house before she gets there. I've never figured that one out. <laughs> Anyways. Maybe you can't take kids to church camp, but you can come up to the church and you could paint a room or you could throw away some of the junk in the garage sale that we've got over here in the education building. You can hold a baby in a nursery, can't you? You can take a turn in children's church. And maybe you'll never be a pastor. Maybe you'll never be a deacon, but guess what? Every single one of us has an obligation to go tell our friends in this community about Jesus and what he's done for us. See, there's a beautiful diversity in the body of Christ. So God has organized that diversity. God has ordained that diversity. That our local church, right here in Spearman, Texas, we have gifts and abilities that no other church has that when used accordingly leads us to glorify God, leads us to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Command. And see, we are not to exclude ourselves because we don't think we have the gifts that we see in others. So look at verse 14 again. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Now jump down to verse 20. Paul brackets it with basically the same sentence. He says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's intentional. 
Paul's bracketing those points to drive home the point that we need each other in all of our differences and all of our diversity. That if you're in Christ through faith because of the work of the Spirit connecting you to Jesus, you are now united to Jesus and you're united to the entire body of believers. So the same Spirit of Christ has gifted you and it's called you to serve. That God himself brothers and sisters, has ordained your role in your ministry. So just because your role is not the same as your neighbor's, just because it's more modest, less dramatic, or unrecognized, and it's going to be great because next week, Paul's going to say that those of you who are unrecognized, you're the real heroes. Paul's going to brag on you and lift you up. Those who are uncelebrated, it doesn't mean you're not important to this church. See, the body needs hands and feet and noses and ears and eyes. It even needs an appendix from time to time to keep people on their toes. You're welcome. Listen, brothers and sisters, you're not to exclude yourself when God himself has included us. See, ultimately, this is a gospel issue. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Jay read some of this this morning. Look what Paul says, starting in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? That, that's talking about us, Gentiles. But verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the world. Lord, do you see this? You were at one time outsiders. You had no hope. You were without God in the world, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins, we've been brought near and placed in this body called the church. And now, because of what Jesus has done, we are called to function as one, to work together in unity and in harmony. So if you're a Christian, hear me, hear me, you are included and you are necessary to what happens at this church. You are included, and you are necessary. Folks, listen, I, I've wrestled with this one all week because this is, this is a deeply personal sermon for me, all right? I, I hope it's deeply personal for some of you because I know some of you in here, you struggle with a deep insecurity about the way that God wired you, right? I mean, do you guys know confident people? I hate them. Like, I hate people that are good at what they do, and they know they're good at what they do. You understand me? Like, they can just walk up and be like, I'm killing the game, y'all. Like, I'm the best at this. Those people wear me out. And not because I really hate them, 
I'm just jealous of them. I, I wish I had that level of confidence. Like I wish I could just walk in and, and just be comfortable when I go into a place. Listen, I was never the guy picked for anything. I was never the guy that people looked at and went, hey, that kid right there, lots of potential, right? I was supposed to be working at McDonald's living in my parents' basement. That's pretty much the way it's supposed to be. When you're in high school and you win the title of class clown, it's not anything to be proud of, right? At the time, you're thinking, oh, I won something. But then you realize over time that you carry that with you for the rest of your life and they just see you as a joke and you carry that with you everywhere you go. I don't fit in with most pastors, okay? I just don't. I'm not as smart as most of them, right? I got an undergrad in history, right? I, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And I find myself most days going, God, you made me an appendix. Thank you. Really appreciate that. <laughs> you, know, you really could have given me different gifts. You know, I, I, I really wished you did, right? My wife deals with it a lot. Pray for her. But then I go to the scriptures every week. And I'm reminded week in and week out. <laughs> I belong to Jesus. And to belong to Jesus Christ should change everything about you and it should change everything about me. Amen? So although you may be like me and you may struggle mightily with insecurity, see, there's wonderful hope for you in the church of Jesus Christ. Because the church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural institution. The Spirit of Christ flows through our veins. It flows through this body, giving it life and cohesion. And it draws every part together in unity to make us one. So hear me on this, okay? The Spirit of Christ and the body of Christ doesn't function like the world does. So the world wants the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, the prettiest, the most financially secure. And you know what Jesus says? Yeah, I don't want any of them. I mean, I do. But really what's important to me is the least of these. What's really important to me is the ones who know they don't have it all together. The ones who know that they need me, those are the people I can use because they're completely and totally dependent on me. So you may think, I don't have anything. Oh, in the body of Christ, you have everything, brothers and sisters. So if you're in here today and you don't belong to the body of Christ, today you are invited to enter into the family of God. And here's the good news. You don't have to earn your place, right? Afterwards, we're not going to run out front and get the stopwatch out and see how fast you can run or how high you can jump. Not going to work that way. You're invited to enter in because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You're invited to become one with this body of believers that Christ has sanctified and made his and maybe you're in here and you just say, I struggle go deeply with insecurity. Then hear me. Don't suffer alone. Home group starts tonight. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a beautiful place for you to belong. It's a beautiful place for you to come into someone's home and to open your life up and to be honest about where you're at and have people care for you and pray for you and love you and to find ways to deploy you into the service of Jesus Christ and his body. One of the things I was telling Kim Brock about this morning is that if you look at the people that are filling most of the roles in our church, they're all involved in home groups somewhere. It's pretty interesting. And I think a whole lot of that is because we're coming together and we're doing life the way that God meant for us to do it. And God's deploying us into the kingdom. 
So no matter how weak and small and vulnerable you may feel, understand that you are an indispensable part of this body because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you that because of your shed blood on the cross that we've been united with you and because we've been united with you, we have been united together as one body. And so I pray today for my brothers and sisters in here who are struggling with a deep sense of insecurity that maybe they don't belong or maybe they don't fit in, that, Father, today you would reassure them that there is a place for you, them in your kingdom and that you want to use them and use the gifts that you've given them in service to you, to glorify you, to bring many people to come to know you and to be a part of this body. Father, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you today, I pray that as the gospel was sang and preached and read from the scriptures, that you have changed lives and you've opened hearts and that you've saved. And that, Father, if they have trusted in you today, that they would come and talk to me or come and talk to someone today to say, hey, I was an outsider, but today, because of the gospel, I've been changed and I've been made new. Father, I thank you that we're about to sing that you welcome the vilest, the weakest, and the poor, that although our sins are many, your mercy is more. I pray that as a church now, we would rise and sing that with all of our heart. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.